Welcome to the Red Pill Sports Podcast. Combating woke inks takeover of sports. Red Pill Sports Podcast. Sports done right. All right, welcome to the Red Pill Sports Podcast. This is Donnie Copeland, your host, and I'm so thankful that you have joined us tonight. I apologize to those that were watching or are watching on Facebook Live. Had a little bit of a stumble there coming into the intro. But man, we're so glad to have you tonight. Uh, Got a great show lined up for you. Hopefully, really enjoyed last week having Charles Hames on us. He's a little under the weather tonight. I was actually going to try to have him on again and because uh, everybody seemed to enjoy that so very much. But tonight i got a great show for you. I think it's very thought-provoking, uh, and it's going to be the black and white of college football. We're going to talk about race in college football, but from a different angle. It's not going to be the same old, same old. Uh, what we're going to talk about tonight, actually, is how I believe that football can solve the race problem or go a long ways towards uh, solving the race problem uh, or the race baiting, uh, let me put it that way, that exists in the United States and would love to tear our nation apart. And I'm going to uh, go from an angle of uh, high school football, college football, predominantly those two. I believe those two is where the most uh, hay can be made. And so I'm really looking, really, uh, really looking forward to this. Uh, and uh, we are, all, as always, brought to you by Red River Auto, redriverauto.com, greatest car dealership uh, anywhere. If you're looking for a patriot-minded uh, car dealership to do business with, that is new or used vehicles, make sure and check out redriverauto.com. We're also brought to you by mypillow.com. And, man, if you have not uh, taken advantage of those Giza Dream Sheets, and I've got some great new news for you, is the new Giza uh, pillow. Uh, it is made with the same material as the Giza Dream Sheets. They're only like 19 bucks. And if you will use the promo code RED, that's MyPillow.com, use the promo code RED, uh, you're going to save even more, but they're only like 19 bucks. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to get a couple of those uh, just because I love my Giza Dream Sheets. I have a regular... My pillow pillow. It's a little thicker than what I like. I, I like my pillows very, very uh, thin, almost pancake thin. And uh, the ones I have it are, are a little thick. And you can get them in different uh, uh, thicknesses. But uh, I bought several friends and my wife one. And I gave really the uh, away the, the thin ones. I kept the thick one without realizing it. So I'm going to get me a thin one, but I'm going to get it in the Giza uh, Dream Sheet material. So MyPillow.com, promo code RED, uh, snap yours up right now. Those those Giza Dream Sheet pillows are going fast. Um, and from everything they're telling us there at the factory. Uh, and then Red River Auto. So tonight we're going to be talking about... Uh, College, the black and white of college football. And uh, if you'll look on our Facebook page or look on our Twitter page, I'm having some trouble with our Twitter page, so you can go to my personal page, at Donnie Copeland, uh, and find stuff that we post there. But uh, I, I think it's fascinating, and it brings a lot of hope, I think, to our nation because racism 
uh, in the early part of our nation, not, not necessarily in the very early, but in, in the 50s and 60s, really tore our nation apart. It seemed like through the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, uh, up into 2000, there was a lot of healing that took place. A lot of progress was made uh, in relation to uh, race. Uh, but a lot of the racism uh, that is uh, that we have is quite honestly is government induced. Uh, there's no doubt about it. It is government induced, and it's and not necessarily the government as a whole, as it is people within the government and race hustlers like Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, guys who really couldn't make a living doing anything else. So they, uh, you know, they hustle. Also, you had guys like. Uh, uh, Thurman, the Democratic governor from our Democratic senator from South Carolina, who was a grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, and you had our bird, uh, bird from uh, South Carolina, uh, grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, and I'm not going to go into a lot of history because I'm not going to make this about, about Republican Democrat. Uh, but go back and read your history. In fact, there is a, on Prager University, there's a great piece that is done on Democrats and racism. And you'll find that the Ku Klux Klan is a product of, of the Democratic Party. All the opposition to in the late 50s, early 60s, to voting rights, to uh, poll tax, uh, to uh, civil rights legislation that was produced by Republicans uh, was all opposed by Democrats, uh, Ku Klux Klan Democrats. Uh, the um, after Reconstruction, you had tw- get this twenty two. You had a, a Republican uh, president who uh, who induced or, or started the Civil War uh, uh, on the basis of, of uh, slavery. Some would debate that, but I, I think it's pretty clear in history, at least from my vantage point, uh, to fight slavery. So you had an anti-slavery. Republican president fought by the the union who did not want to end slavery, uh, and Southern Democrats who did not want to end slavery. Uh, after Reconstruction, you had 22 black uh, members of of uh, state le- not of of the uh, House, the U.S. House that was elected, uh, and that was in the 18. 18- uh, in the 20s, and no, no, in the in the uh, pre 20s, in the teens, 18, uh, early 1900s, late 1800s, you had uh, 22 uh, black Republican uh, Republicans elected to the House of Representatives, U.S. House of Representatives. It was not until 1935 that the first black uh, Democrat was elected. So it's it's clear all through history that the Democratic Party has used race to divide this nation, and they do it today. Uh, I've been very, very intrigued and encouraged. Now, I'm a Donald Trump fan. I'll just tell you that right up front. I'm a Donald Trump supporter. But a young man that has really caught my attention before, actually before the first Republican presidential debates was Vivek uh, Ramaswamy, the Indian uh, of Indian descent, uh, who's an American, but his parents came over here 40 years ago and uh, very successful in the biotech uh, industry and uh, 
the most articulate person I think we've ever had run on the Republican Party. If you want to argue he's not really a Republican, uh, I would argue that Donald Trump wasn't really a Republican. So, And look, as far as Republicans, I, I could care less about Republican or Democrat. And here's why, because Republicans have done nothing but backstab uh, the American people, the conservatives. Uh, the Republicans and Democrats are one of the same in my mind. They both like war. They both like divide. They both like spending money that we don't have. They both like open borders. So I'm not looking for Republican and Democrat. I'm looking for somebody that will do the job. But what really has intrigued me about Vivek Ramaswamy uh, is his uh, willingness, and not only his willingness, but propensity to talk about race in America. And uh, one of the things that he says is that reverse racism, and I think that's a little bit of a misnomer, and I take a little bit of issue with it, but I know what he's trying to say. Reverse racism is racism. And what he's saying is when a black person or a brown person is racist toward a white person, uh, it is still racism. And the reason he has to use this title or this moniker reverse racism is because for so long in America, you only are racist if you're white. You can't be racist and be black. You can't be racist and be Hispanic. You only can be racist if you're uh, white. Uh, the nut that shot up the dollar uh, the the Dollar Tree and killed three black people and stated that he wanted to kill black people, the white guy, is a you know a monster and a racist. Uh, but the the black guy that killed the people ran into the audience was in Wisconsin, Minnesota, uh, in the car and killed multiple people, targeted white people. No one ever said that that was. Uh, I, 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 uh, that that was race-induced. I don't know that I've ever heard of a black person being uh, arrested for civil rights violations uh, for targeting white people, but you hear of it on a regular basis, white people targeting black people. And my point is, uh, one, I don't think you need civil rights violations. If a black person kills a white person, it's murder. If a white person kills a black person, it's murder. You don't need to enhance it uh, and and make race out of it. And one of the largest problems in America is we talk about race so much instead of just uh, and, and rather and so by talking about race constantly, we keep race on the forefront. And I think that's intended, quite honestly. So what I want to talk to you about tonight is how I believe that college football, high school, and college football. Can, can literally transform the racial makeup of America. Now, I know that sounds odd, but just stick with me. I really believe that high school and college football, because of its uniqueness, because of the racial makeup uh, of the coaches and of the players, this uniqueness, and then the positions of high school and college coaches and how they're revered and how they're followed by these young men, who are predominantly black uh, in the uh, in, in college football, probably closer to 50-50 in high school football, uh, perhaps. But I know it's probably 57, 43%, I looked it up, uh, in college football. So about 50, rather about 54, 55% of, uh, about 55, it's rough, but 55% of college football players are black. 
45% of college football players are white. The other 10% are uh, usually uh, uh, Hispanic and of uh, Samoan descent. A lot of Samoans, because they're just big people by nature, uh, are uh, and uh, uh, Samoans, and there was another, another nationality real close there, and it, it'll hit me here in a minute. But those Pacific... Uh, uh, what Pacific West or Eastern Pacific uh, uh, small islands that make up the other part that are not Hispanic of the 10%. So here's where I think this uh, is, is, pos- is, is possible uh, is because if you look at uh, racism says that, you know, we have to favor uh, blacks on college applications. We have to f- uh, favor uh, uh, Hispanics on work and blacks on work applications, college applications, uh, other things. And rather than going on meritocracy where it's by merit and who's the best, I want you to look at football for a moment. Not not just football, but I'm talking about football because we're just getting ready to start uh, the college football season. Actually, it started last week, but it really starts in earnest this week and the week after. And but if you'll look at the makeup of head football coaches in America, college football coaches and high school football coaches, they are predominantly white. It's probably 70-30, 70% white, 30% black. A lot of your staff, uh, offensive defensive coordinators, receiver coaches, linebacker coaches, uh, special teams, a lot of those coaches are black. Predominantly your uh your head coaches are white. Uh, there's a lot can be said about that. A lot can be argued about it. Uh, uh, and and we may save that for another time and talk about it. And I'm certainly willing to talk about it. If you got anything you want to talk about on that, uh, go ahead and shoot me uh, an email at copeland.donnie at gmail.com or hit me up on social media. I would love to discuss it. Uh, but here's where I think the uniqueness of college football uh, and high school football is one you have this racial, this natural makeup of let's call them teachers, which is your high school football coaches, your college football coaches. So you have people who know in authority who this is very rare uh, that 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 black young men will listen to m- m- mostly. There's that doesn't mean there's not. Uh, problems in high school and in college, probably less in college, more in high school, of uh, young black men and white young men. But these young black men don't have a father figure. So they're drawn to these father figures in high school football and in uh, college football. And then look at the makeup of, of football, high school, college football, is it is a meritocracy system. You don't play starting quarterback because you're black. You, you play starting quarterback because you're the best quarterback on the team. You don't play wide receiver because you're white. You play wide receiver uh, because you're, uh, you know, you can run a, a four, five, four, four, 40 and, you know, you're 6'3", and you have strong hands and you run great routes. Uh, and you're tough as nails, you'll run across the middle, you're fearless, whatever. You know, you're not a tight end because you're 
you're white or black, you you play tight end because you're six four, six five. You can block and you can catch, and you weigh 240, 250 pounds. So you're a you're a locomotive out there that can catch football. Uh, so it's really based on uh, on merit, and so you already have this system built in whereby these young men are seeing a how a meritocracy works, and and here's where I think it could be so pow- and and could be so powerful, is that there are about a million uh, high school football players. There are somewhere around 80,000 college football players, uh, and so you have what I think sixteen hundred high school football programs, about three hundred college football programs that uh, span from the NCAA all the way down to Division Two or Division Three. So you have about three hundred teams there. You have about sixteen hundred teams in high school. So somewhere between. 1,900 and 2,000 uh, football teams. So that's 2,000 teachers. Uh, and what I like to say is these teachers or instructors, these head football coaches and their staffs uh, are the anti-college professor. They're the anti-woke high school teacher with the rainbow flags and all the garbage. Predominantly, these uh, high school football coaches and college football coaches are, I would say, at least middle of the road, if not to the right. They're more conservative than they are liberal. Uh, it's it's just the way it is. They're just they're very disciplined. They're very uh, it's very meritocracy based. They're very tough, uh, predominantly. So, and and probably a lot of them are not even really that political. A lot of them probably are apolitical meaning they're non-political for the people in Rio Linda. So, uh, so you have this perfect lab. We have a million, uh, almost 1.1 million young men. That, that is so important. Many of those young men are going to go on, even the high school players that don't play college football are going to go on and be tremendous leaders because football, uh, it breeds leadership. It it breeds success. It breeds uh, a conditioning for meritocracy. In other words, hey, I got to put in the work if I'm going to be the starter. I got to put in the, and, and that translates so well into the job market. And so I, I see where college football and high school football, now national, the National Football League is lost. It's, it's a bunch of, you know, spoiled professional players, multimillionaires, uh, and so they're going to put in the grass. I saw it in one of the preseason games of the day in racism. You know, what does that mean? But look, look at, you know, and it means nothing. But but look at the opportunity as a college and high school football player where these minds are still moldable. They're still being shaped. And I'm not talking about getting up and beating the band for the Republican Party. I don't even beat the band for the Republican, Republican Party. And here's why. I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. I don't trust Mitch McConnell. I don't trust uh, uh, what's the guy's name, um, the the Speaker of the House McCarthy. I don't trust those guys one iota. There's only probably twenty percent of of House Republicans uh, and Senate Republicans, maybe ten five percent of Senate Republicans that I would trust 
whatsoever. If you look at the, the Democratic Party, Republican Party, they're all in on Ukraine. They're all in on giving them billions of dollars and uh, so concerned about keeping Russia off their border, but no concern about our border. But what if a, a coach was able to weave in these inconsistencies? What if a coach was able uh, to just slowly bring about, I'm not talking about trying to make, uh, trying to brainwash young men into being uh, conservatives. I'm not talking about brainwashing young men into being, certainly not Republicans. I think that's a lost cause. But I do think they can sow seeds of, of uh, really good seed into fertile ground of the minds and hearts of, of 1.1 million young men about, look, you, you had to work hard to become the starter at wide receiver, tight end, the starting left guard, left tackle, whatever, linebacker, uh, you name the position, running back. Uh, and so, so it is, and it translates to your life. See, that's not political. Uh, that That's not politics. That's life, my friend. And so, uh, and, and, you know, it is said that the older you get, the more conservative you become. And I think that's generally true. Why? Because you learn more about life. But where can you really learn about how, maybe not as much about how life, about life, but how life works and the real world than on a football field and the meritocracy and the hard work and the consistency uh, and the teamwork and you got to work together. Oh, I'm not going to block for this guy because he's white. No, he's my teammate. I'm not going to vote. For, I'm not going to block for this guy because he's black. No, he's my teammate. It has nothing to do with black and white. What a teach. What a wonderful, wonderful, teachable moment. Uh, you you can have great teaching moments like uh, you know when. You know, all the guys talking about, man, uh, the NFL this week, you know, so-and-so wouldn't stand for the national anthem because of the systemic racism. And and, and so you use that as a, as a head football coach. Use that for a teachable moment. Say, guys, you know, uh, you know, if so-and-so wants to kneel, that's his business. You know, I'm not going to try to tell him he doesn't need to kneel. I don't know his experience. I don't know. but But here's what I find fascinating, guys is that, and, and you're teaching them all during this, here's what I find, and you're teaching them how to think, not what to think, but how to think. But you got them gathered around, and you're talking to them at the end, and you see so-and-so now wouldn't stand for the national anthem. Yeah, guys, I saw that. But but here's what's, here's what's fascinating. Uh, so-and-so bowed or wouldn't stand for the national anthem because he says there's systemic racism because someone was treated unjustly, uh, that was uh, uh, that was someone was uh, arrested for uh, and and subsequently maybe was hurt or maybe even killed running uh, or or fighting resisting because of shoplifting. So there's this big deal going on, and so we got in racism all over the uh, NFL's uh, fields. But guys, did you notice the guy kneeling had on Nike cleats? Did you know those Nike cleats are made uh, by people called Uyghurs? And these are political and religious prisoners held in China. And China forces people into labor camps and sometimes doesn't pay them anything or pays them very little. And they have to work 15, 20 hours a day. Uh, and yet the NFL is uh, taking money from Nike who 
has their shoes made by slave labor. You see, guys, how that is so hypocritical? See, and you get the guys to thinking, you're not beating the band for Donald Trump. You're not beating the band for the Republican Party, certainly. Uh, but you're pointing out the inconsistencies, and you're teaching these young men to think. Uh, you're teaching young men, which 54% are black uh, in, the, uh, in the college ranks, or 55% are black, right at 55%, probably real close in, in the high school rankings, uh, ranks. So you got 1.1 million young men. You're saying, young men, look, you have to, you have to do your work. You have to go to school. You, you have to get the grades. You got to do that so you can play football. You got to get the grades. Now, if, you know, when you become a father, uh, look, I'm, I'm here for you. What, what, how would you feel, guys, if I didn't show up for the game? How would you show, how would you feel if I said, you know what, I'm not calling plays tonight? Say the offensive coordinator, I'm not calling plays tonight. Uh, I'm just, I'm taking the night off. I'm going to go get drunk. I'm going to go get high. Uh, and you're teaching them, see, uh, and you're teaching them about as a leader. I'm, I'm the leader of this team. Uh, and, and I listen, I want you guys, when you become fathers, when you become husbands, I want you to lead. I want you to lead your family, your wife and your children like you want me to lead you. See how powerful that can be? See how powerful, and you say, well, you know, it's, it's, we're a nation of, what, 360 million people, but oh, you, you miss it. This is 1.1 million men, and these 1.1 million men, young men, are going to be leading, say, two children and, and a wife or a baby, baby mama, you know, let's, let's, let's call it what it is. Uh, but maybe this head coach is talking about commitment and talking about marriage and you know and he's doing it in a subtle he's doing it in a nuance he's doing it in a way that it fits he's not in here bible thumping and pounding them you know into the ground and, and pounding in their head but he's using it all the time uh and so i i think there's a real opportunity if if someone can get to these coaches and a lot of them get it uh, I, I look at, and I use in my slide for to promote the show tonight, I used a picture on purpose. I used a picture of Brian Kelly and a, a young man by the name of Kayshawn Booty, uh, B-O-U-T-T-E. It's a Louisiana name. Some people pronounce it Boutte, but it's actually Booty. Uh, and it's spelled different than the Booties from Shreveport, B-O-O-T-Y, just or B-O-O-T-I-E, I believe. But it's at, they're actually pronounced Booty as well. Uh, Josh Booty played for USC and uh, and played at LSU. I picked LSU, uh, Brian Kelly and, and uh, Keishon Butte or Booty uh, because they uh, I'm an LSU fan. But Brian Kelly's white, 62 years of old uh, of age. Last year, uh, Keishon Booty was uh, what 20 years old, maybe 19 years of age. Uh, and, it, and it was a picture of them after a game and in Florida, I believe. Uh, but the reason I chose that picture, and I could have just as easily chose Nick Saban, and here's why. Because both of those men, many other coaches have done this. But I'm going to show you the power of, 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 the, of, of how football, but not just football, any sport actually, any club, anything. But I chose football because we're getting ready to start football, as I said earlier. And I know it well, 
and I know how these young men look up to these coaches. But uh, uh, Kayshawn Booty had some real off-the-field problems. And, you know, Brian Kelly was just coming in last year, and he could have easily said, look, you know, I'm trying to set a tone here. You know, you're a knucklehead, which Kayshawn Booty was. I keep saying Boutte because forever I pronounced it Boutte and found out later it's Booty. So if I keep saying Boutte, uh, forget. And there actually is a Boutte in Louisiana. It's B-U-T-A-Y. So that's not confusing enough that B-O-U-T-T-E is pronounced Booty. B-U-T-A-Y is uh, pronounced Boutte, uh, which I guess makes sense after you uh, spell it out. But anywho, uh, so there was a lot of problem with with uh, Kayshawn Booty, and he was a real malcontent from from reports. Uh, and Brian, he, he didn't show up for practice. He didn't do what he was supposed to do. But here's the thing: Brian Kelly was super patient with him. Now let me let me be clear: Kayshawn Booty at that time didn't end up being at the end of the year. Didn't have a great year, but he was by far the best athlete on the team. So there was some self-service on Brian Kelly's uh, part, so in the interest of full disclosure. Uh, but you know what he said? He said, man, I'm going to give this young man, uh, I'm going to give him uh, some leeway. One of the main things that happened, this is a, te- a powerful teaching moment, and, that, and what happened was Kayshawn Booty's girlfriend had their child, and he missed a game. He asked for permission to be at the hospital when the child was born. I think the child was actually born before the game, uh, and he could have made the game. Uh, Brian Kelly could have been hard-nosed, could have said, no, you come to the game, and maybe even should have, but he didn't. And and Keishon Booty, uh, Booty actually didn't end up having that great of a year. He was phenomenal his sophomore year, but his junior year he wasn't. He was, Or as a freshman, he was great. Sophomore year, not so much. Uh, and so anyway, he worked with him through that. He was very patient with him. And, and, and from what I understand about Brian Kelly, he's not always been that patient, but he was. Now, guess what? I think Brian Kelly has had an impact on the, uh, that young man. Now, uh, from what I understand, I, the, the rosters came out today. I, d- I hadn't seen, and I should have looked before we started uh, taping this, uh, if Booty was cut by the Patriots or not, but I know he was having a pretty good uh, camp. And if he made the cut, he's an instant millionaire, uh, probably a millionaire anyway from NIL in the college ranks. But my point about that whole thing was, was that Brian Kelly displayed not only to him, but to the other players, he showed him as a uh, authoritative white figure. He could have, he could hold him accountable, be tough, but also be human, be loving, be caring, be merciful. Nick Saban, on the other hand, uh, they were talking about, and, and I don't remember the player's name, but a play, one of his players, coach of Alabama, uh, Nick Saban, one of his players got in a lot of trouble. And uh, everybody said, you know, man, you're letting him play. What's the deal? And and Nick, I never get this, and I, this gave me so much respect I, I made me have so much respect for Nick Saban and so he asked the reporters because they kept asking what are you going to do are you going to suspend him what are you going to do with him and Nick Saban said so what do you guys want me to do uh here's a young man that really probably all he knows how to do is play football 
And if I throw him off the team, which I probably should, then where does he end up? Or are y'all going to take responsibility for him? Uh, you know, uh, have you thought about where he ends up three years from now? Now, just like Brian Kelly, do you think this player is a good player? Do you think part of this, a large part of this, was Nick Saban said, hey, I need this guy on my team? Sure. But Nick Saban can go get another player. Brian Kelly can go get another player. I think genuinely Brian Kelly, Nick Saban says, look, uh, this kid, if he doesn't make it in football, you know, uh, and he may not make it as a pro, but if he doesn't make it and successful here, uh, there's no telling what may end up with him and so uh, where he ends up. So I can be a little merciful. I can be long-suffering. I can probably be more merciful even than I should be uh, to see what happens down the road. See the power that that these men weld in, yes, decisions, but so much more in the teachable moments uh, in teaching this and uh, teaching uh, the, the strengths of meritocracy. Uh, and, and, and I think probably meritocracy are getting what you deserve, not what you, you should get because of the color of your skin, but because you're the best. And the, the, the residual lessons and payoff that that provides for these players down the road, but not only for these players, but think about this. You got 1.1 million players. They all have two children down the road. So what's that? You know, 2.2 million children. If all of them had two children, you add the 1 million players. Let, let's call it even numbers. So you got 2 million kids. You got a million players. That's 3 million. They all marry a wife. And now that's 4 million people that you've affected uh, because, you know, of these 16,000 high school programs, these 300 college programs, because you're in this place of such influence. Uh, and yeah, are, are there liberal college football coaches? Sure. Are there, you know, college football coaches that are just as nutty as nutty professors and all woke? Sure. But I think there's this temptation for college football coaches because their players are again, not overwhelmingly, but predominantly black, 55%, as I said earlier. There is this temptation because of the talent, because of the ability, because of where they come from, to placate, to say, yeah, you're right. It's, But that's not how that football team works. And they can say, well, you know, George Floyd was a great guy and he shouldn't have died. Uh, but have that teachable moment say, guys, George Floyd was high on fentanyl. George Floyd was on drugs. George Floyd beat a woman who was pregnant. And yeah, should he have been killed? Should there have been more? But he was resisting. And, you know, and 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 balance that out and not just play into, you know, the, the narrative. Uh, one thing I really appreciated about Vivek Ramaswamy was that the day he was asked, and, and I'm, I'm kind of coming to close here, but I want to use this as a teachable moment that I think can be a teachable moment for football players. He was asked a fascinating question. I, I guarantee you could line up a hundred uh, presidential candidates and they wouldn't have answered this question the way he answered it. They asked him, did he think Juneteenth 
uh, is a viable holiday? He said, no. He said, I think it's, I think it's a, a mockery of holidays. And he said, let's just be honest. Juneteenth was created as a national holiday because you had all these people burning down uh, Minneapolis over George Floyd, and uh, they were placated by, I don't remember if it was Biden or, or, or Trump, placated them by giving uh, the black community Juneteenth holiday. Here's the dirty little secret. It's just like uh, we have a, a lot of Hispanics that attend our, we have three Hispanic congregations in addition to our English congregation. And we were planning a Cinco de Mayo day. And the Hispanic, some of the Hispanic staff members spoke up and said, guys, we don't even celebrate that holiday. It means nothing to us, zero. And I was like, what? No, that, that's that's something somebody came up with in America. That That's not something we celebrate. We don't. We don't care about Cinco de Mayo. And so, oh, okay. So I, I, I think probably if you polled black, most black people would say Juneteenth. You know, that's because they were trying to keep them from burning down uh, Minneapolis, you know, the black folks in Minneapolis. You know, that that didn't mean anything to us. Uh, we already have Black History Month. We have Martin Luther Jr., uh, King Jr. Day. We have you know, a, a lot of other ways that we celebrate our heritage. Um, and so uh, just like Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy used that moment, it took courage and it, to, and it took clarity, uh, but it would have been so easy as most people would have said, yeah, yeah, that's a great, you know, uh, you know, there's been so much oppression, there's been so much this and that. And, 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 uh, when young black men start talking about slavery, for head football coaches to be able to lay something like this, this fact on them, and say, guys, you know, look, I, you know, none of us here have been slaves. You know, our great, great, great uh, grandparents were slaves. And this is a white coach talking. And he said, oh, y'all didn't know there were white slaves? Did you know that in Western Europe, uh, there were more white slaves than there were, uh, I'm sorry, in North Africa, there were more uh, white slaves in North Northern Africa than there ever were combined of, of black slaves. Uh, but they don't know that because they're not taught that in school. You know, maybe a lot of you didn't know that, but, but go read some of Thomas Sowell's history. Go read uh, some of, uh, the history on uh, slavery, but we're only told, we only know what we're told in, you know, a lame civics class taught by some left-wing ideologue. We, we only know what the mainstream media tells us. And so these, uh, these uh, coaches who are in a phenomenal place of influence can have a phenomenal impact on this predominantly black, young, impressionable black audience because one, uh, they are in places of authority. Uh, they can teach them, uh, not politics, but they can teach them life. And I think over a period of 10, 15, 20, 30 years, you start seeing, you see it in the NFL. 
uh, uh, all of a sudden you have, okay, you have, what, 300 or 200 college football players that make it to the pros, and only 10% of those it really takes, and they are really independent thinkers. But now you got 20 black young men who are great influencers in the NFL because their head football coaches in high school and college begin to teach them about the real world and about how, yes, we racism uh, uh, does exist in pockets, but it doesn't just exist for black. It exists for white. It exists for all kind of people, Hispanics. Uh, but it's not what happens to you. It's how you react to what happens to you. And as unfair as life can be, and it can be unfair to all of us in different ways at different times in our life, uh, what life is really about in succeeding life is how you respond to it and how you rise above it, how you move forward. And you, you, and teaching this, which I believe is one of the most powerful things that can be taught to young people in general, not just young men, and that is... Uh, the number one precursor for you being successful in business and life is your relational skills and how you get along with people. And if you walk around uh, seeing racism around every corner, if you walk around with a chip on your shoulder, if you walk around uh, you know, saying, I didn't get the job because I'm black, or I didn't get the job because I'm white, or I didn't get the you know, college, uh, uh, the place in, in this particular college, because of my skin color, whatever, uh, and you walk around wounded and offended, uh, then you set yourself up uh, for failure. And I believe these, uh, I believe these high school and college football coaches are in a unique position uh, to uh, train and teach and guide these 1.1 young, 1.1 million young men. Uh, to see life in a much more balanced, nuanced, and uh, and 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 a much better, better light. So this has been the Red Pill Sports Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed uh, tonight's podcast. Tell somebody else about the podcast. I'm going to try to have Charles, our local uh, historian. Uh, he is a sports and music historian. I mean, extraordinaire. Going to try to have him back on possibly next week. Uh, I'm trying to line up a interview with a NFL general manager, uh, a former NFL general manager. So got some things we're working on. We'll keep you posted. Uh, thank you again for listening to the Red Pill Sports Podcast, brought to you by my uh, MyPillow.com. Don't forget to use that promo code RED and buy. Uh, redriverauto.com Thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Red Pill Sports Podcast brought to you by the Doc Washburn Show Family of Podcasts a Yetcher Media Company.